Doctor Who fans, welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary, it's just me this week. Adam's off on his travels. So let's get into it. Let's do episode 256. So yes, Adam is away this week, so I'm going to give you a shorter show. I'm going to rattle through one bit of news, a couple of bits of merch, and then I'm going to give you my thoughts on the haunting of Villa Diodati. I hope you've all had a cracking week, and if you've all managed to do something Doctor Who related. Those of you that jumped onto the live stream this week, it was awesome to hang out with you guys over there. That was really fun to do. So, like I said at the time, I was expecting... Um, I really was expecting uh, nobody to turn up. And it was going to be me chatting away to myself. But you guys just didn't disappoint, as always. You turned up and you uh, fired a load of cool questions. And we chatted about Series 12 and Jody and the Companions and all that stuff. So, thank you so much for, for hanging out. I'm going to do those regularly, because that seemed to go fairly well. So I think it'd be cool to uh, to do those regularly. So I'm hoping to do those once a week, but we shall see. We shall see. Um, but yes, it was good fun. So thank you so much for that. I love doing that extra stuff for you. As I said at the time, it's a, it's a really good opportunity to just sort of dive into some of the stuff that we don't get a chance to talk about. Uh, we don't get enough time on the show, basically, to to chat about all that stuff all the time so uh yeah because when adam's here we're talking about news we're talking about merch with a bit of waffle about what we've been up to and stuff and then we dive straight into the review but then once we got to that point an hour's already gone past and uh yes we haven't got time to uh to dive to do like a deep dive into some of those sort of more core themes and and stuff from from the episodes and just doctor who in general really so it's great to do those extra things to be able to to talk about that stuff. So I'll be doing those more regularly. So thank you very much again for turning up and doing that. That was very, very cool. And thank you to all of you guys that have subbed to the YouTube channel so far. That's awesome as well. So a uh, big, big thanks today, this week. So right, 256 then, what we've got coming up, just one bit of news. Um, and then a couple of uh, a couple of cool pieces of merch. One of them's very cool. The other one, depending on how you view that stuff, it could be cool. Um, and then I'll give you my thoughts on on last Sunday's episode. But yes, land it and get this news done. So first up, and the only bit of news this week is Darren Scott, who is one of the editors over at SFX Magazine. You might have seen that magazine. For years now, in news agents and WH Smith and so on, he reached out to me and wanted to let me know of uh, it's kind of a, kind of cool thing that that uh, um, that he was involved in with Doctor Who. So they are doing something at the moment where um, he was doing an interview uh, with Jodie Whittaker. And uh, he got her to sign a photo for him. And the reason why he reached out to me is because uh, he asked Jodie to do the sign photo and told her that it was going to be auctioned off on eBay for the Dogs Trust. And uh, the Dogs Trust is a charity, obviously, and 
he sent me a link to the eBay um, uh, auction and so on. So I'll put this in the show notes if you want to take a look at this. It's a very cool uh, signed picture. It's the it's one of the early promo pics that they released for Series 11, way back, you know, early last year, I think, or the year before. And uh, it's essentially a nice countryside looking scene with the at the time it was the new TARDIS Jodie's TARDIS in the background and then Jodie's wearing her uniform and she's looking uh, straight at the, at the camera so it looks kind of cool and then Jodie's signed it in a gold sharpie it says lots of love Jodie Whittaker which is nice and it's uh yes it's um it's going up for charity for the Dogs Trust now I'll send you the link there's another week left to go on this so by the time you listen to this tomorrow there'll be six days left essentially the current price for it is 50 squids so if you've got if you've got some beans in your pocket then um then then yes it's uh it's a cool it's a cool this cool one um and it is genuine as well so uh during an interview for the doctor who series at sfx magazine are going to be running that they took the opportunity to get her to sign this pick and uh, 100% goes to the Dogs Trust. So thank you very much to Darren Scott from SFX Magazine for reaching out about that. I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, and that's all good. So quick and qu- short and sweet, quick and out the way for the news. Uh, let's uh, get a couple of merch bits rocking. Merch corner. Merch corner. Merch corner. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very... Well, there you are, young man. What do you think of that now, eh? A Viking helmet. I know, it's on the telly. It's everywhere. I don't know that to be impressed or disgusted. I work in a shop now, here to help. Robert Harrop, those very awesome guys who produce the the very awesome-looking mini statues. We've spoken about them for years and years on the show now. Big, big fans of those guys. And they've updated their Facebook page with some information on some upcoming figures. So I think it was about two or three weeks ago we spoke about the Gravis figure. So Gravis from the Frontios story uh, back in the day with the uh, the the old Fifth Doctor story. And uh, they've got the colour version of that up on their website now, or up on their uh, Facebook page, sorry. And we we saw the black and white or the, the kind of brownie-looking, in-progress sculpt before. But now they've got the full-colour version, and it looks very, very cool. Very, very cool indeed. So the black-and-white picture that they had pre-finished sculpt looked good anyway, but the, the full-colour one, as you'd expect from, from Robert Harrop, looks really, really cool. That's going to be up for sale, or for order, sorry, on the 28th of February, so the end of next week, next Friday you'll be able to put an order in for that, which looks great. And then they also teased a little snippet of a couple of upcoming upcoming figures from the Curse of Peladon. So we've also been treated to the uh, Agador um, from the Peladon story, the Royal Beast, and Lord Islia, 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 forgotten how to say his name or their name, which is the Ice Warrior character, again, from the Curse of Peladon. So they'll be coming up at some point. It doesn't say when those are going to be up for order because like Robert Harrop tend to do with their early uh, promo picks is they do a black and white uh, black and white photo which shows the uh, the sculpt sort of halfway through. So they're not full colour, they're not painted 
I assume that these are either prototypes or they've gone past prototype and they're just uh, going through the motions with the um, sort of mid-sculpt. But they look very, very cool. And uh, what's really cool also about these Robert Harrop um, sort of in-progress shots as well is it's really cool to see all of the reference shots that they've got. So when you see some of the sculptors working away on the walls, you've got taped or blue tacked you've got all these large printouts of each of the characters that they're sculpting so the the picture they put out on on facebook it's got um it's got Islia as or it looks like a finished version um but the the sculptor is working on agador and then on the wall behind him you've got all these big uh, photos printed out of agador and then you've got the dvd case and and all that stuff so it's very very cool to see that in progress and it's the same thing further down when you see the in progress version um the in progress version of gravis in the background there's a big photo and it's got davison and some other people and then you've got those characters there so you can tell that that's why the robert harrop figures tend to look really really good because they take reference straight from the stories that these characters appeared in so there's no kind of there's no sort of post story tweaking that's gone on. There's no interfering from anybody. You haven't got anybody from anywhere saying, actually, uh, there's no George Lucas happening. Essentially. There's nobody coming in saying, actually, I know it looked like that back in the seventies, but I actually want to change a few bits. Now they're like, no, 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 this is authentic to the story. That's why they look so cool. So, uh, the curse of Peladon, if you want to actually, um, have a looky at our review of the curse of Peladon, that was back in episode 126, if you're interested. Uh, that was a really fun uh, story to review, actually. So, uh, yeah, go and check that out. Um, and then next up for merch, this is something that's done the rounds on Twitter quite a bit in the last couple of days. And I'm in two minds about this. A part of me thinks it's incredibly cute and looks very cool. The other part of me thinks... Um, the other part of me thinks that Although this is targeted at an obvious age range, I can absolutely see tons of adults ordering these. And I know for a fact, anyone that's listened to this show for a while, please back me up. I I know for a fact that my co-host Adam will be ordering at least one of these. I just know when, when I speak to him next week, hopefully he'll be back next week. I just know that he's going to have one of these on order already. And he'll be doing a review on it on his YouTube channel, The Geek's Handbag. So, uh, yes, I'm in two minds about it. It looked kind of cool. But the Build-A-Bear workshop people have now partnered with the BBC to do a couple of official Doctor Who bears, which looks very cool. And they come in two. Uh, they come in three flavours. You've got the very stripped-down basic bear, which has got no costume on, anything like that. The only thing that kind of distinguishes it from a standard non-branded bear is there are two there are two hearts on its chest and it's got the doctor who logo in there and also the pads on the bottom of its feet or its back legs um they've got the, the the doctor who logo and they're like these dark blue tardisy spacey kind of um, pattern on the fabric there and uh i'll give you the prices in a second uh, and then there's two flavors in terms of resembling a specific doctor the first one is the jodie whittaker version which you'd have which you fully expect to see, seeing as she's the current Doctor. And then you have the David Tennant version, 
which looks kind of cool. And I've got some thoughts on that in a second. But prices are, if you want the standard bear with just the logos on the chest and the feet, that will cost you 21 quid. If you want the Jody uh, Whitaker version, including the Sonic screwdriver as a gift set, that will set you back 50 pounds, 50 pounds and 50 pence. And then for some strange reason, if you want the David Tennant one, which also has the Sonic screwdriver, that will set you back £51.50. Uh, uh, so there's an extra pound there. And I suspect the reason for that is because they've included the 3D glasses as well. And just to give you a very quick breakdown, uh, also there's another set as well you can buy. So if you want to, you can buy the bits separately. So you can buy just the standard bear without any of the costume stuff. And then you can buy the costume bits to put on the bear separately if you want. So the Jodie Whittaker costume, which essentially comprises uh, is comprised of the blue trousers with the braces, the t-shirt and the coats, that is 15 quid. The David Tennant one, which is the, the blue suit with the shirt and the brown coat and the 3D glasses, that's £16.50. And then the Sonic screwdrivers are £8 each. And to finish off the bear, if you want the little shoes as well. So for Jodie Whittaker's bear, you've got these little brown, look like Timberland, classic style Timberland little boots. They're six quid. And for the David Tennant bear, they've got the little red, look like little red Converse boots. Um, canvas high tops, they call them. They're five pounds fifty. Or you can buy the set, you know, the bear with the costume already. Also, they do another version, which has got, uh, it, it comes in like a little TARDIS themed, um, a little TARDIS themed box as well, which is uh, the deluxe gift set they're labeling as. And that comes in two, bloody hell, that comes in two flavors. So you've got the Jody uh, without the Sonic that comes in the TARDIS box. That's 46 pounds. You've got the Tenant Bear with the box again, without the Sonic, that's 47 pounds. And then if you want the whole shebang, you've got the Jody Bear with the Sonic and the shoes and the TARDIS box, that's 54 quid, or the tenant version with everything is 55 quid. <sighs> Wowzers. Uh, I guess the clue's in the name, though, Build-A-Bear. I suppose you build these things up and you can do them all separately, I guess. Um, now, interesting to me, this is interesting because I find it, it's, it's still... Uh, I wouldn't say, it's not strange, it's not the right word to use, I guess, but I find it interesting that when you are not taking into account the current Doctor, in this case Jodie Whittaker, they always seem to default to David Tennant with 3D glasses. I just find that very, uh, very weird because the 3D glasses, for some reason, have become like this iconic look and this kind of associated thing with David Tennant's Doctor. But in actual fact, he only wore them, I think it was only one or two episodes, I think. I could be wrong there, but in the whole time he was the Doctor, a very tiny percentage of the time you you, you saw him wearing 3D specs. So it's it's weird that they've now been like uh, sort of coupled with his Doctor as like his iconic thing. So that's kind of weird to me. But anyways, uh, if... Uh, teddy bears if bears are your thing then i'm not sure if build a bear is an international thing but here in the uk um 
you can do that. The other thing as well is that there are the odd shop. Uh, the are there's the odd builder bear shop around in the UK, and uh, so I'm not sure if you can get these in the shop as well. The, the only thing that makes me think that you you can't yet anyway is that on the web I'm looking at the builder bear website and everything is listed as online exclusive. So I don't know if that means the price is exclusive to online or if it's only available online at the moment. So I'm really not sure. What's kind of weird though is that the the boots and the the red shoes you can get them in the shop. So I don't know. Anyways, so we'll let you know. We'll let you guys know if there's any sort of further developments. If they add any more doctors to this range or anything like that. But uh, yeah, head over to builderbear.co.uk and you'll see a, a big advert for Doctor Who on the homepage. I'll stick a link in the show notes as well. But one thing I will say, this will be a cracking present. If you've got any young uh, nippers with birthdays coming up and they like Doctor Who or you'd like to introduce them to Doctor Who, this would be a cracking way to do that. They, I must admit, they are very cute. They are very cute. So uh, there you go. Build-A-Bear <laughs> build uh, workshop stuff. Right, that is it for that is it for um, merch and stuff. I'm being very generic today. Merch and stuff. Yeah, but anyway, that's it for merch and stuff. Uh, we're going to move on to my thoughts for last Sunday's episode. So let's get cracking with that. Something's wrong here. On the night that it's about Frankenstein. Something seriously wrong with this calf. Things we know. We can move inside, but not out. Dead things don't act dead. People vanish. Well, you did say their house was evil. Nothing too sinister, then. There's something down here with us. This apparition, did Shelley describe it in any more detail? Dark, charred by fire. Suspended over the water like a death god rising from Hades. It's not a vision. It never was. Ooh, a creepy one at last. So, The Haunting of Villa Diatardi. It was broadcast, obviously, Sunday just gone on the 16th. It was written by Maxine Alderton and it was directed by Emma Sullivan. We are still with the four-person TARDIS crew at this point and a reasonable... Uh, size supporting cars, not too big, but there was a, a, f- a few, a few in there. And the and the synopsis for this one is: the Doctor and her companions visit Mary Shelley on the fateful night in 1816 when she creates Frankenstein. But all is not as it seems. The rooms of Villa Diatardi keep shifting around, and ghosts are stalking the halls. And the group soon remember a familiar warning: beware the lone Cyberman. Do not let it have what it wants. But why is Percy Shelley not where he should be, according to history? There we go. Now, I have to I have to make a comment on this now. And this is me being extremely nitpicky and uh, pedantic, if I'm being honest. But a common mistake that a lot of people make when they're talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is they always compare... So not compare, but they always reference... Frankenstein as the thing and it's slightly incorrect because 
the the beast is not uh, Frankenstein. That's actually Frankenstein's monster. So it's Frankenstein who creates the monster. A lot of people think the monster is Frank. It's a bit like any video gamers out there for years. Well, it's a similar thing when whenever you're talking about the Zelda video games, a lot of people think that the main character in that is called Zelda, and it's not. The character is Link, but the story is called, you know, the Zelda insert title here. It's the same thing with Frank. Anyways, I just want to make that clear. The, the, the monster isn't Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monster. It's Frankenstein that creates the monster. Anyways, but yes, it's a cool, it's a very cool story. It's a very cool idea for a story, put it that way, where you can, um, and it was built up to be like that as well to a degree. I remember when the trailer, the next time trailer was out at the end of the episode before, and then the synopsis went out and all that. And I thought they were going to make more of it, to be honest with you. I thought they were going to make it more of a thing, but it actually ended up being just a bit of a vehicle for, it was, it was, it had a bit of a, a bit of unicorn in the wasp about it. Anyone that's seen that story, which most of you, I assume, have, that whole thing with um, what's her face? It, it was uh, <laughs> what's her face? Uh, Enid? No, no. Who is it? Who was the uh, the author that's in that story? It's it's that kind of thing where it's like a famous author comes up with a famous story, and over the course of one or two days, you know, a lot of events happen, and it turns out that in some way, shape, or form, the Doctor is partly responsible for uh, keeping that person um, on the on their path so history isn't altered. I think that's the best way of putting it. Um, which is kind of strange, really, because there's a moment in this episode where um, the Doctor is quite adamant and quite stern and says that, you know, history is a history is uh you know is a lot a lot of big important history happens on the basis of what happens tonight in this story so you know under it's one of those things it's like the timey wimey under no circumstances you you can't alter history and then she has a bit of a pop at ryan there's a bit later on where he says you know shall we you know let's just sacrifice percy uh for the sake of you know, everyone else and then the doctor you know rightly so says look it's not always about that words matter and all that stuff but then you know in a sense of irony it's because the doctor's actions and everything that happens that uh mary goes on to write the story i guess but um there we go uh, agatha christie that was it. it was agatha christie in the unicorn and the wasp i had to uh I had to put the chip back in my head there for a minute the memory chip and uh yeah it's slightly you know there's some some parallels there uh, with that story and also this story also it, in my opinion i put this out on twitter and a few people said yeah i, I, I see that uh, if anyone's listened to an old big finish uh yeah an old big finish story called the chimes of midnight it's an old um eighth doctor mcgann story it's it's a very similar vibe in that they arrive at this house which they assume to be haunted because they can hear voices and names being drawn in the dust and uh, things like that. But uh, sort of the first half of the story or the first two thirds, the crux of it they, that they figure out is that it's the house that's actually haunted. Edward Grove, I think it's called the house. And there's this thing that happens where at midnight, everything gets reset and the house changes and the characters are 
uh, sort of reset and they don't remember what's happened. They don't remember somebody being murdered and all that stuff. But it's the house that's, you know, sort of manipulating everything. So I got that vibe a little bit as well when watching this, where they 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 figure out that uh, the um, it, it's the uh, the the thing that's going over the house that's kind of manipulating the uh, what's going on inside. So in terms of the story as a whole, uh, I actually felt like this was a much needed, a much needed change of direction because some of the stories that we've had up to now, which don't really focus on, haven't focused on the main story arc because it was kicked off very kind of right you know, you could tell that Chibbers was going down a bit of a moth route where he wanted to do a bit of a serious arc and not have everything so isolated. And in between the opening and in The Fugitive of the Jadoon, and now this one, we've had some bits pop up. So Captain Jack, I'll get on to him in a second. Uh, we haven't really seen anything going on, you know, with this, the warning that Captain Jack has given the companions to, to tell the Doctor, you know, the lone Cyberman, do not give it what it wants and all that stuff. So I feel like this is a much needed uh, kind of progression to that because I think a lot of us expected that stuff to pop up in the finale and not necessarily before that. So it was good to have that as a run-up to the finale. And also, I just love creepy, scary Doctor Who stories. In my opinion, I think they're some of the best stories and really goes back to the core thing about what makes Doctor Who very cool sometimes is, you know, the the phrase behind the sofa is applied to stories like this, I suppose, where, you know, Doctor Who can be creepy and scary sometimes. So uh, I, th- I feel like this story sort of falls into that category with um, uh, with some of the other creepier ones, which is great. And I, for, the, for the most part, uh, I actually thought this was a decent story. I thought it was a, a good, uh, suspenseful story. I thought the I thought the the Cyberman himself was a, a a great take on on Cybermen in general. I'll come on to him in a second, and I thought that the whole kind of pseudo historical thing was quite cool as well, and some interesting performances from the from the supporting cast as well, which again I'll come on to in just a minute. So the the whole haunted house thing and the whole ghosts and all that stuff has been visited in Doctor Who quite a few times now, and we expected the doctor's reaction to be, you know, ghosts don't exist and all the rest of it. What's kind of cool though, what's kind of cool is the, and they, they use that whole formula as well in the Sarah Jane adventures, um, a story that we reviewed a couple of months ago before series 12 started was the one where, uh, Luke wasn't in it and, uh, Sarah Jane Clyde and, and Ronnie go off to, um, this big haunted house and they've uh, they have the same thing i think it's i think it was the eternity trap i think anyway anyways uh, they kind of lean on that whole thing where uh, sarah jane's very much like the doctor in terms of everything has a scientific explanation which is great so the doctor goes through that as well in this one which is like ghosts don't exist all the rest of it but we did have that scene where graham sees the 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 woman and the young girl and that can't be explained. I think he was expecting the doctor to to jump in and say, oh yeah, that was so-and-so, or it's, you know, you saw those people because of some scientific explanation, but she couldn't. So that kind of leaves the door open a little bit for 
you know, is does everything have to have a scientific real world explanation for things? So that that was a nice little nugget to throw in there. I thought that was cool. But on the whole, the whole haunted house thing, I thought they did quite well. And then when they explained it later about Percy uh, being the ghost where at, at the beginning, when one of the maids, she's walking down a corridor and the, and the, the vase crashes against the wall. That was Percy earlier on. And then you see like, like an opacity, like a lowered opacity version of him in the doorway uh, when they're on the stairs. That was him and stuff. So they explain it away afterwards. But in the run up to that, the, the haunted house thing was quite cool. Um, I felt like the the I felt like the the interactions between the Doctor and the companions and the supporting cast, especially Lord Byron were kind of interesting because before this went out, I was kind of expecting this to be uh, those guys to be a lot more straight laced and a lot more. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to use the word boring, but I expected them to just be sitting around reading and having the odd conversation and stuff. But, you know, they're actually, uh, you know, singing and dancing and drinking and all the rest of it. And uh, and Lord Byron, he seems like a bit of a cheeky chap as well. He's he's obviously got a thing for um, I think her name was Claire Claremont. I think one of the the ladies that was there in the house at the time. And um, and uh, yeah, he's got a bit, of, a bit of a thing for her. But he kind of treats her like crap throughout the episode. And then at the end, he's like, "Okay, so let's go and let's go and have a lie down." And she's like, "No way, mate." And uh, yeah, so Lord Byron's a bit of a a bit of a cheeky chap, and uh, not why I expected him to be. So his performance, uh, he was played by Jacob Collins Levy. Uh, they were actually all not too bad, to be honest with you. The character that I was most interested in actually was, I think it was uh, Doctor John Polidori. I think that was the guy that he was very moody and grumpy. Apparently, he didn't sleep and stuff, and uh, he's he was kind of the key to what was going on later on because. There's there's a, a bit where the um the all of the characters are running out of the room, but then they're coming straight back into it, and the house is sort of playing tricks and and not letting them leave and so on. And it's actually him that sort of gets up and starts sleepwalking, and because he doesn't know what's going on, he can't see anything. He's asleep. He walks through the walls, and then the doctor's able that she's able to uh to figure out what's going on, and also his. His I just found him a quite a cool character because earlier on in the story, he has a bit of a to-do with Ryan. He challenges him to a duel and all that stuff, kicks off a little bit. And he's still very, you know, grumpy and stuff. Speaking of Ryan and his clash with with uh, with Polidori, uh, companions-wise, this wasn't a bad episode for them, really. It felt like in some of the previous stories, the companions have been shipped off to all over the place. And sometimes the, the the doctors met up with them and then they split up again or they've done everything together. It was one of those split up stories where they were off doing their own thing for some parts of it. But I felt like it was done fairly well in this one. So there wasn't this whole convoluted bunch of threads that some of the companions were getting into. And then it was all, you know, the the sometimes that happens where they split them up, they go off and do their own thing, and then they try and all culminate towards the end of the story. And then you have to sort of tie it all up and, and do that. But although they did that to a degree, there was a, a nice sense of 
each companion kind of having a purpose, I guess, because the doctor's doing her usual thing where she's off, you know, she's doing her thing. And uh, it's more sort of they investigate what's going on for the first half of the story, I would say. And then you've got the the other the other companions also going off and, and doing their thing. But what was funny was, to me anyway, was uh, they were questioning themselves as in you could tell that they were scared. You could tell that something was going on. There was something not quite right in the house. And uh, especially Graham, he was really funny with this where there was a bit where they were going to look in the cellar. And even though he's got a candle, a light, he's like, I will give this a miss then. And you, you can tell that they were sort of letting themselves sort of be worked into the whole ghost story thing. It was quite funny. Uh, and then we had that scene where Yaz goes off and she, she sees, uh, I think she, she sees Mary trying to break. Is it Mary or Claire? She sees one of them trying to break into one of the rooms and they have that little conversation where, I think it's Mary actually where um, uh, she says about every time I ask questions, you know, I, you know, it just turns into more of a an enigma sort of thing. And then you see Yaz immediately relate to that because it, it's clear that she and the other companions have been trying to do that with the doctor. They've been trying to ask questions, trying to find out more about her and her past and whatnot. And they've been shut down fairly quickly. So that was a, that was a cool little scene and another nice bit of progression for Yaz as well. Because she's her character has been progressed fairly decently over series twelve, so I thought that was cool. And then the whole creepy house thing sort of continues for a bit. But then when the the, the sort of halfway through, when we get to see the Cyberman, the the lone Cyberman that we've all been waiting for, the 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 episode kind of goes into another gear, it sort of shifts into a it sort of cranks it up a bit. And that's when, for me, like the second half of the story is just cracking. I mean, the first half was good anyway. It was a fairly decent episode up to that point. But then when we see the lone Cyberman, that's when it all kicks into another gear. And you've got the a few elements that make that really cool. So you've got the Cyberman himself, which the design just looks just really, really cool. One thing that Adam and I have been sort of scared about based on how they've brought the Cybermen back uh, especially for Capaldi's era, if you take away the Mondasian style Cybermen, is that we're just not fans of the redesign uh, stuff. I mean, even going back to sort of Tenant's era, um, we're just not really fans of the redesign of the Cybermen because uh, you've probably heard us say this many times, but they cut the the design team kind of went down the Marvel superhero route with that. The the, the Cybermen look very Iron Manny, and uh, which is cool for some people. Some people like that, but we're just not sort of huge fans of it. So we were like, oh no, what if they're going to take that to another level? You know, we're going to have just big, more sort of Iron Man esque armor and all that stuff. But uh, the design was actually fairly fairly cool for this one i mean obviously you'd focus on the the helmet half of it's missing so you can see the the face inside which is creepy in itself and the actor that they got to play the cyberman was you know, it gave a great performance his voice wasn't it wasn't his own voice and i believe i read this somewhere i think it's true that nick briggs actually did the voice for for him for the lone cyberman but was uncredited at the end of the episode, but I think it was him that I'm sure I read that. So the performance was great anyway. And then you put Nick Briggs's uh, awesome voice over the top, you know, it's all, 
it was all really good. But the actual, the, the essence of just bringing a Cyberman into the story has to be done pretty well these days, I think, because you do fall into the trap of just retelling the same Cyberman story over and over again, which is, you know, Cybermen have turned up, they want to take over the world, they start converting people, Doctor beats them, round we go again. So I thought this whole thing around um, the the Cyberman being sent in in time to look for the Siberian, which is the kind of AI collective knowledge of the Cybermen, I suppose, in this kind of weird liquidy sort of. I mean, don't get wrong; it 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 did turn a little bit sort of Terminatory, Skynet-y kind of thing. There was that vibe going on, but it was done in a in a good way that I I felt was necessary to for it to be a good cyberman story because you don't just want to repeat history and it was the the first time or one of the first times that we've actually ventured into the more human side of cybermen which was great because in previous cyberman stories all we've had really is the doctor telling you or or telling you via the companions about how the cybermen have no feelings, how they're just converted humans and no emotions and all that stuff. We, all, we, all we ever see is the end product. Uh, there was a couple of scenes where, uh, what story was it? Uh, where you see like the big conversion uh, units where you see all the humans sort of lined up and they're being taken in, but you don't actually see the conversion happen. You just see all these like metal tools and like drill sounds and everything. And then you see the Cybermen coming out at the other end. So like a conveyor belt, I suppose. So we only ever see the the final end product, which is a fully functional, non-emotional Cyberman. So it was good to see almost a, a midpoint, if you like. Well, this Cyberman's actually, in terms of emotions, seems to be fully converted. It's more of his physical appearance that, um, that, uh, that gives it away. And there was a moment in the story where we thought that the uh, the Ashad, who is the lone Cyberman, would potentially tap into his human emotional side. There was a point where we thought, has he not been fully converted in that respect as yet? So there's a there's a bit earlier in the story where he picks up the baby. So he's killed the the one of the maids. He's picked up the baby, but he doesn't kill the baby. He just puts it back down. And then later on in the story, when Mary confronts him she tries to appeal to his human side and for a second you do think that he's gonna he's gonna go into that mode because he bows his head the expression that you can see on that side of his face that's exposed is like kind of sadness i suppose <laughs> but then you know it sort of lulls you into that false sense of of uh, of security because he then sort of reacts harshly afterwards he's like you know uh, so yes the the design and the the character for the Cyberman was great. I felt it was a real, uh, a unique way to bring Cybermen into the story. And uh, yes, then we get onto the whole thing around. So back in Fugitive of the Jadoon, when the companions encounter Captain Jack, and I know you guys know all this stuff already. I'm just saying it for my own sort of benefit, so I know I'm getting this right. Really, uh, when they encounter Captain Jack. He says to them very, very clearly, which they relay to the doctor. So it's all crystal clear. 
do not give the lone Cyberman what it wants. You know, he was very explicit and clear. There's no gray areas there. It's no, like, if you see a Cyberman with, you know, half an antenna missing with one left, one of his toes on his left foot missing and he's, you know, he's a foot shorter than the other ones. There's nothing like that. It's like the lone Cyberman. Do not give it what it wants. Clear warning. Anyways, does the Doctor listen to that? Of course not. We were <laughs> we were expecting the Doctor to not listen anyway, because if she did, it'd be a pretty boring finale by the sound of it. So that's kind of interesting. So we don't know what led Jack to get to that point. Obviously, Jack's a time traveler. We know that. But we don't know what he's seen or what he knows in order for him to be privy to that information and stuff. So he's kind of like, look, um, uh, he's kind of like, look, I'm, I haven't got enough time because at the point in the episode, he's in a stolen ship and then the security systems are kicking in. The nanogenes are going to start to do their thing. So he hasn't got enough time. You, you can't sit down with the companions and say, look, I know about the lone Cyberman because of this and that and all the rest of it. He actually has to rush it and just say, look, warning, don't give it what it wants. Fast forward to this episode, the Doctor gives it what it wants, which is the Siberian, which is kind of cool because the way in which we know about that is because Percy Shelley, down by the river having a nice old time, sees the Siberian glowing or shining in the water and it goes into his system and possesses him, which is how... He that kind of explains the sort of creepy supernatural element because uh, he's been um, he's kind of been sort of shifted out of time a little bit. I think is the I could be wrong there. I, I watched it a few days ago, but you know it, he's only sort of half there in that time space, and uh, so that explains that stuff. But then the Doctor overtakes that stuff. You know she she takes the Siberian from him. Uh, and in, inhibits her, and uh, and then she gives it to the Cyberman because there's that showdown between the two of them where the Doctor's like stuck. Really, she's like, I can't win. It's like I either do this, uh, and then we go on to war basically, or I don't do it, and everyone dies anyway. So blah blah blah, and uh, she ends up giving it to to the Cyberman. So I thought that whole that whole thread with this Cyberman and the Siberian Siberian is actually kind of cool. I do. I do like that. I was, I was, I was dreading that we were going to have just another, here's a factory with the Cyberman trucking humans in. Now we've got an army of Cybermen. We're going to take over the world. So this was a good take on that. And then as the, um, as the sort of Cyberman, uh, as Ashad takes that, um, uh, he does the off, the weather all stops. Everything, everything seems to be okay. It's like the lull before the storm. So, um, and then that's that. And then, uh, the doctor and then the fam quote unquote, uh, they're on a mission. Then they need to follow Ashad, uh, into the future to try and see what's going on. Because Percy, when he was possessed with the Siberian, which is another cool part of the story, he's writing everything create like a crazy person. He's writing all these weird symbols and language and stuff down in his room. So the doctor sees that, learns it's like coordinates to, uh, to to the future, basically. So they're off to go and sort that out, which we will come on to in the finale, which is going to be cool. Uh, 
And then it ends with, as you would expect, uh, with Mary um, sort of, uh, you know, being prompted. You know, Ryan basically says, you know, you need to keep writing. You need to keep at it. And then because of what she's seen and what she's witnessed, that's the obvious then inspiration to go on and create Frankenstein, the story. So it was kind of cool in that respect. So in in terms of the story as a whole, and I've just rattled through that, it was a great uh, just change of direction, really. Um, I think the the stories up to now, obviously we haven't had a creepy, scary-ish kind of story. They've been more action thriller kind of based story so it was good to go back to sort of old school uh creepiness the see the the lone cyberman that idea was great very unique uh the whole siberian thing and the collective knowledge of the cybermen in this one thing yeah you know they've borrowed from from the terminator stuff that's clear to see you know the the lone cyberman who's been sent back in time you know to to do that it's like typical and it's not just this, you know, loads of things are borrowed from that formula. So, but, you know, it was done, done okay. It was done okay in this. I think when we see the finale, that will explain off a lot more of what's going on with that. And I think it will make this episode uh, be a, a better watch when we come around to watching this uh, mul- multiple times in the future. So, story-wise, all good. Uh, character-wise and performances, um, like I said, I thought that... Dr. John Polidori, played by Maxim Baldry, I thought his character was cool, and he did that in a very quirky way, which is good. I thought that um, the I thought that Mary Shelley's character, um, who was played by Lily Miller, I thought she was okay. Nothing to stand out for me, I'll be honest with you. She wasn't there was that one scene when she stood up to the Cyberman. That was okay. That was kind of cool. But otherwise sort of fairly standard for me. She was okay. Uh, I thought that Lord Byron, played by Jacob Collins-Levy, he was cool. So him and Lord and uh, John Polidori, I thought those two were the strongest in the supporting cast, outside of the sideman character, Ashad. Uh, those two guys were funny, because Lord Byron, you can tell he's a bit of a lad, a bit of a player, you know. And, uh, and Jacob did that part uh, to the script, it felt like. We needed somebody who's, who was quite cocky, uh, obviously, you know, confident in his looks and his you know his confidence in general and stuff. So that was very cool. And then we needed like the quirkier guy who was the sleepwalker, the bit of a, you know, some issues going on there. But I thought that was cool. Uh, Claire Claremont, she was okay. She was, yeah, she was okay. And, uh, and then we had um, uh, Fletcher, who I thought was just, hilarious really i think they needed somebody because we often rely on graham for that the comic relief and stuff so it was great that they had this kind of really typical alfred from batman style sort of butler servant type guy that was um just sort of rolling his eyes at everything really you could tell that uh, and this was played by a person called stefan i can't pronounce the surname correctly stefan bed bednarchik's bednarchik i think uh he was written to be very funny in a subtle way. So you could tell that because the weather was so bad, that was the whole point of the story. The Lord Byron had invited these people to his, to his villa. And because the weather was so bad, they're they're sort of trapped inside for a want of a better phrase. And uh, in order to pass the time, 
his idea was for them to come come up with like some of the best sort of scary ghost and monster stories and stuff. So because of that, you could tell that Fletcher was in for an, at least a night or two or three of just these lot getting drunk and dancing and being silly. And he just rolls his eyes at everything. And yeah, so that he was a cool little character. I thought, you know, that was uh, that was well done. In terms of the companions, I thought Yaz had a fairly decent one. They felt more even as well in this one. Up to now, we've had some really good character development for Yaz, which is great. And as a as an offshoot to that, that then sidelines Graham and Ryan a little bit. But I thought in this one they were fairly even. It was, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, n- none of the companions did anything sort of crazy useful. But at the same time, none of them just sat around doing nothing. I think the weakest one again was Ryan, in my opinion. But then I think that was par for the course for Series Twelve because in Series Eleven we had lots of character building with Ryan and Graham and those two and all that stuff. So it's now obviously Yaz's turn to have some of that character stuff. So not too bad. Um, Bradley Walsh was really funny. He does those very sort of small quips. And uh, and just his sheer panic at certain points in the episode was really funny as well. You could tell that he was crapping himself. Even though he didn't want to come across that way, he played it very well that he didn't want the rest of the guys to know he was scared, but you could tell he was. Uh, and a similar thing to uh, to uh, Tosin Cole and Mandip, you know, certain points you could tell they were scared but the performances weren't too bad and then Jodie so we've said a few times now that throughout series 12 we felt like Jodie's been a much better doctor this time around her performance has been a bit stronger the writing's been a bit better for her in this one I liked the the switch in her character a little bit so while she's investigating the well, while she thinks she's investigating just the classic old haunted house thing, she's quite upbeat and she's quite, you know, not slapsticky, but she's quite funny in a few scenes and stuff like the scene where she puts on the big funny hat and she quite likes it and stuff. And, you know, she's taking it seriously, but, you know, but then there's a point where you think that she's going to switch and actually make and get everybody worried and concerned there's a bit where, you know, she can't explain scientifically what's going on. So she's like, you know, this house is pure evil, basically. And everyone's like, whoa, crap. But then she goes back to being lighthearted. She's like, I'm coming back for the hat and all the rest of it. It's not until the Cyberman turns up that her character switches and we no longer see those funny comical bits. She's actually goes into like, holy crap mode. It's, you know, and there's that great scene where, her and the Cyberman are in the same room together and they face off for a little bit and he goes to threaten her and she moves out of the way and there's that sort of back and forth between the two of them. So I thought that scene in itself was really, really good. That was a great scene. And then after that, as they're sort of playing hide and seek a little bit and then, you know, the the, the climax when he manages to get the Siberium and stuff. So I thought her, her and there's a scene as well where she warns off the other companions, as soon as she knows that there's a Cyberman involved, she's got that great line where, you know, she's seen what happens to people basically when Cybermen are involved and she's not going to let that happen to anyone again. She's, you know, it's like history repeating itself. So uh, I think that was the whole Bill Potts thing. And, you know, uh, so overall, I thought Jodie had, again, a, a fairly decent 
story with this one and I, I really liked her performance but I've liked her a lot better in this series overall anyway so I thought this was another good step and I'm hoping that the finale is going to be a belter a belter of a story so um that two-parter but yes and then just another couple of little bits in my notes again I'm not really seeing that's the wrong word I'm not really hearing anything amazing coming out of Segan's uh score again and i think it's it's a shame really because in series 11 there were some episodes where his music was great it was a really cool it just added to the story if i'm being honest with you bar a couple of little bits here and there series 12 could could get by quite easily on just stock music that's been purchased for the show if i'm being honest with you and i hate saying that because um segan is such a great composer and uh, for the most part, we really liked the majority of the work that he did for each story in series 11. But I don't know, for some reason, I just can't, like nothing is memorable to me after I finish watching an episode. So with his music, you know, during the episode, there's like a couple of little bits here and there where you think, oh, that sounds cool. But then when the episode's finished, I'm just like, nah, I don't actually remember what anything there's no, there are no strong themes in there, and I've said it for a couple of weeks now. And that it's great that we've got a new composer because Murray Gold couldn't have, couldn't have done this forever, basically. Um, but there are times like this where I feel like a little bit of Murray Gold wouldn't go amiss here. It would be lovely to have a little sprinkling of. Of, of some Murray Gold over this stuff. So I'm really hoping that the finale, they're going to go like big, epic, all out, so that I'm hoping that Segan's music reflects that as well. I'm hoping for some really great music in that. But in this one, yeah, uh, not so much. Uh, Sonic Screwdriver usage, it's still there. It's, uh, you know, it's still a thing, but not quite as much as what's been used previously in a series, which is good. And then the exposition thing that we've complained about in some of the previous episodes, that wasn't so bad as well. In fact, you know, there wasn't much of it in this one as well. So that's all good. So score time. Overall, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a 7.5. I thought it was a, a really uh, sort of good take on the whole creepy house thing that we've seen a few times in Doctor Who now. And just want to reiterate, if anyone's not listened to um the the chimes of the chimes of midnight from big finish the the eighth doctor um story then give that a go it's a it's a kind of similar vibe uh, it's a similar vibe with uh, the whole sort of house manipulating stuff and it's cheap as chips on big on the big finish website these days as well they you can't buy the disc anymore but the download's only 2.99 so if you've not listened to The Chimes of Midnight, it's a really, really good story. And it's a, a companion that you may not have heard of if you've not listened to any big finish at all from the McGann era. There was a, a, a companion called Charlie, and she's actually okay. Yeah, she's, she's a decent companion, actually. But this story as a whole is a is, is a cracking story. So three quid over at uh, Big Finish. It's a fairly old story now. It was, it was released in 2002, but... It's still one of their best. It's a cracker. So anyway, uh, this one, 7.5. It was a decent, uh, creepy story. Uh, the the Cyberman thing, really, really cool. Uh, so yeah, a 7.5 for me. It's a, it's a solid, it's a solid story. So next week, 
we will be looking at the first part of the Series 12 finale, which is titled Ascension of the Cybermen, which sounds very cool. And in the week after that, we'll do our next review for the wrap-up to Series 12, the finale part two, which is called The Timeless Children. Adam should be back with us next week, so he'll give us his thoughts on that, I'm sure. He really wanted to send in an audio clip with his thoughts for me to play on the show, but he just did not have the time, unfortunately. So next week he'll be back and we'll go through that stuff. So 7.5 for me, but what did our awesome listeners uh, think to this one? We had a bunch of audio clips in, so thank you so much as always for that. Let's get cracking with these. The first one, this is George Puddy. So the haunting of Villa Diodati. This one had a really creepy atmosphere, actually, and the portrayal of historical figures, including Shelley and Byron, were all really well done. And I thought this episode was actually rather humorous. My problems, though, are mainly with the lone Sideman. It looked really creepy, for sure, but I don't think that creepy design was really backed up by a good performance. The performance was, dare I say, too emotional for a Sideman, and it was just like generic angry man for most of the episodes and it didn't really feel like a Cyberman and I don't really think they maximised the full potential of having a partially converted Cyberman and I think while the climax of choosing between Shelley's death or giving the Cyberman what it wants was really good changing it to either giving the Cyberman what it wants or having a army invade didn't have the same impact, mainly because I think the Doctor would have said bring it on rather than worrying about some armor we don't even see. But also, if this is a lone Cyberman who wants this to rebuild the Cyber Empire, then how does it have an army to call upon in the first place? I thought that was the whole point. So that really didn't make much sense to me, and it does have a few plot holes. However, I did think it was a pretty good episode. I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10. See you guys next week. Ah, George, throwing up some deep questions there. That's a good point, you know. I think it's best to, I don't know, there, there's probably, I haven't, hmm, you got me thinking about it now. So, do you know what? I haven't deep dive into it and thought about it too much. I'm sure that there's an explanation somewhere. There's all. <laughs> there's always an explanation for something within Doctor Who. So, I don't know, man. Well, uh, I'm sure Adam was, has thought about that as well. Because uh, I I didn't I, I was just swept away with the story really I didn't give it much thought but now you've mentioned it yes I have to think about that but um thank you very much for your review anyway uh, if we do happen to come to the bottom of that or try and explain that we'll uh, we'll let you know on next week's show uh, next up is Sammy from Down Under today Gary and Adam Sammy Satine here so the haunting of Villa Diadotti well it appears Jack's warning didn't work she gave the line side man what it wanted. He's going to be furious. The Cyberman is better designed than the Cyberwoman in Torchwood. I like Graham looking for the toilet. Stop using the Sonic all the time, Jody. I'm getting tired of the exposition too. The bit when she met the Cyberman was good, not great. It could have been better. There's been a lot of that lately. This episode was good, not great. I wouldn't mind seeing it again, but I'm not seeking it out. The finale is going to be a mess. Too many ideas going on, not enough time. One of Stephen Moffat's problems. I give it seven lone Cybermen out of ten. See ya. Hmm, Sammy. Do you know what, Sammy? I didn't think there was... I didn't think the exposition was too crazy in this one. Maybe I've, uh... Yeah... Maybe I've watched this in a different 
train of thought. I'm not sure, but yeah, I just didn't think there was in in comparison to some of the previous episodes. Anyway, yeah, I didn't feel like there was that much really, but yeah. Uh, but thank you for your review, anyways. As always, uh, next up from over in the US, this is Time Lord zero nine zero two. Greetings, Gary and Adam. This is Time Lord zero nine zero two with my review of the haunting of Pancho Villa. First thirty minutes or so felt more like a Scooby Doo adventure as the gang tried to hunt down a mystery. Saw elements of Castrovalva and Ghost Light, as well as the big audio, fin- big Finnish audio, the Silver Turk, which is an excellent Paul McGann story that you should definitely listen to if you haven't already. Things did perk up when the Borg, uh, I mean, I should say, the Lone Cyberman showed up, and color me shocked when it received what it should not receive, but I'm sure that's all part of the plan. I had a good chuckle when Scrunchy Face became Angry Face. I just cannot take her seriously. Uh, the only thing that would have been great is at the very end, the Cyberman's mask was pulled off and there was Chris Chibnall. And he would have said, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Four out of ten. Cheers, guys. A four out of ten. Hmm. I know you've not been a fan of this series so far, dude. So, um, yeah, that's not, a t- that's not a terrible score in light of what you've said the, the last few weeks. But, uh yeah, the Scooby-Doo thing as well. <laughs> Scooby-Doo thing's funny. Uh, but no, thank you very much for that. Moving on, this is Callum Morris. Hi, guys. It's the Hooniverse here with another Doctor Who audio review, this time for The Haunting of Villa Dear Daddy. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Mm, I don't know. This episode was amazingly tense. It was creepy. The Cyberman was, oh, that brilliant, you know. They were brutal. They snapped that girl's neck, which I did not expect to see. I thought they were going to upgrade the baby. I was kind of terrified about that. Um, But it's good to see them on a level as the Daleks, like the same level as the Daleks. That's always great. But on top of that, Jodie's performance this week was amazing. She finally, I think for a lot of people, had that defining moment where it's the I am the Doctor moment. I, I always thought she has been for a long time, but this is a strong performance. And I know I say that a lot. But uh, I do generally think that this is her best performance so far. And I think this is the best episode of season 12 so far. It's a six out of six for me. It's excellent. It was everything I wanted to be. And I can't wait to see what comes next in the next episode. Ascension of the Cybermen. Can't wait to see it. But you guys can't too. See you next week. Bye, lads. Six out of six, Callum. I I love your um, your off, off the beaten path review system. It's very cool. So I think I can translate that into a 10 out of 10, I think. So, yeah, loving that one, Callum. So, uh, yeah, a, a full score. Uh, right, cracking on. This is a new reviewer in terms of audio. Let's welcome Max William. Hi, it's Max. I'm here to do a voice view of The Haunting of the Villa Diodato. Overall, I thought it was a very nice and scary and haunting episode. I did like how it played out over the episode. And I did enjoy how he explained it at the end in the kind of confrontation bit with the Doctor and um, Oliver Shelley. And um, I'll give it a solid 7 out of 10. And I'm f- looking forward to what it will give us to think about in the season finale in a week's time. So I'll see you then. Bye. Thank you very much, Max. Welcome aboard the TARDIS with your audio clips. Thank you so much for sending that in. And yes, we're looking forward to the finale as well to see how this stuff is kind of wraps up and explains. So uh, thank you very much, mate. Uh, moving on. Martin Arnold, let's do this. Who are you going to call, guys? You're going to call the fam. You're going to call the doctor. You're going to crash a house party hosted by Lord Byron. Wow, Lord Byron. That could have been all sorts of dark, I tell you. And it was pretty creepy. I'm, I'm just, that blew me away. I was on the edge of my seat. If I was on any closer, I'd have been in accident and emergency with an injured bum 
Good lord. Um what what an atmosphere that that Cyberman. Creepy. Perfect inspiration for Frankenstein's monster and they you know they played on that just right. Um it it wasn't a mess either. Everything that happened was coherent, even though it set up the, the ultimate finale with the cyber war, loving it. Um Jody's performance at the end, that that monologue, that scene, oh that was that was tremendous. That was fantastic. 9.9 we're nearly at the end and chris chibnall he's going to give us more magic i feel keep it up guys see you later uh, loving this one martin that's cool yeah you're right there has been some magic from the chibbers this series it's uh yeah it's been pretty cool but thank you very much for your review dude a 9.9 crikey uh second to last one this is craig bryce Hi guys, hope you're well. So, The Haunting of Villa Diodati, what did I think? Well, it's good to see this story getting some praise after the past couple of weeks. I did enjoy this one. I don't think it's as... It's amazing. I don't think it's as good as a lot of people are making out, but it was an improvement. Um, I felt the story did drag a little bit for me, but it did pick up once the um, the Sideman arrived. Um, Jodie this week, she was better, but I've been listening to uh, the Who Addicts guys, and I have to agree with Liv where... Jodie, she has a couple of nice moments where she really feels like the Doctor. Then she just dips back there and again with um, with a poor performance and the writing as well. Not as not great for her, but she was better this week. Um, companions were okay in the guest cast. I really liked uh, Jacob Collins Levy as Lord Byron. I thought he was, he had the standout performance this week. Overall, not bad. I am going to give it a second watch, but my first, I'm going to give it a six point five out of ten. Let's hope for a, a good two part final. Cheers, guys. See you later. Bye. Cheers, Craig. A 6.5. That's not a bad score. Not a bad score at all, really. So, uh, yes, um, again, let's see what happens in the finale. But I, I do think that the finale will make this ser- uh, this episode a bit better. Uh, so, yeah, especially on a second watch as well. I think once we've, once we've watched this a couple of times and we really soak in that cool kind of lone Cyberman thing and his design and and all that stuff, and some of the conversations that happen between the Doctor and, and Ashad and stuff, yeah. So here we go. Thank you very much, Craig. Here we go. Last review, this is Alex Kingdom. Hello, Gary. I don't think Adam's there this week, so I'll just say that, but um, The Haunting of Dear, I don't know how to pronounce this episode title, however, the episode was sensational. Even before the lone Cyberman appeared, I was really interested and invested in what they were doing with the whole cast and historical elements of the series. The the house looked amazing and it the set was great. There was a few jump scares in there, which was always nice. I thought everyone had something to do. It was just really lovely. But then we get that bit with the lone Cyberman, which is the best Cyberman design in a while. I'm happy they hopefully they discard those Iron Man Cybermen. They get on my nerves. This episode was great and I like the Doctor's speech about how she can't win all the time. I thought it was really good. Jenny Whittaker is amazing. And I just thought it was great. So yeah, I'm going to give this episode a 9 out of 10. I, I, I just really enjoyed it. I think it's fantastic. And I can't wait for the ascension of the Cybermen next week. But uh, have a good rest of the show and I shall catch you next week. Thank you very much, Alex. A 9 out of 10, another high score. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, overall, I mean, this series... Every episode has been, I would say the majority of them has been, uh, have been fairly consistent. There has been a couple that have really divided fandom, but I'm glad that this is another one where, for the most part, there's been plenty of, uh, uh, plenty of, um, 
of sort of relatively decent scores. So that's all good. Uh, I'm going to move over to Twitter and Facebook now. There was a, a few here. So I'm going to rattle through these. Uh, at Dooley underscore zero one one said, I quite enjoyed that. I love the atmosphere and the design of the lone Cyberman was creepily enticing. Overall, it was a solid story. Seven out of ten. Uh, at Vincent Blonde one, uh, it was brilliant. I watched it all alone in the dark, and when the Cyberman appeared, it was very scary. All the cars were fantastic, and the Doctor's final choice was so tense. A nine out of ten. Uh, can't wait for next week. Loving the podcast. Thank you very much, Vincent. Uh, Reese uh, at GF97 YouTuber. Uh, very spooky, spooky horror themed episode with funny characters. When the lone Cyberman appeared, it really elevated the story. Uh, it was a threatening presence and the scariest we've seen him in a long time. Memorable, memorable moment with 13's speech being angry about the decision she has to make. That was a cracking speech, actually. Yeah, I forgot to mention that when I was doing my. My review, actually, yeah, it was a, a nice little moment where we can add that to the list of doctors, all the doctors kind of cool speeches, I suppose. Yeah, that was cool. Um, uh, the Doctor Who Show, uh, very cool podcast. If you don't listen to those guys, uh, their Twitter is at the DW Show, but uh, you'll find them on whatever podcast app. Very, very cool. Uh, it said, one of the two best stories in S12 so far, nine out of 10, the BBC producing period drama in a creepy house with body horror Cyberman thrown in. Hard not to like it on that premise alone, but the guest cast brought it to life. It looked good and made me so happy after the last two weeks. Uh, Joe Bowers at Bowers 0 said a creepy horror story all of the cast were great and whilst I felt the companions were underused Jodie gave her best performance her speech is definitely a highlight of her era 8 out of 10 at Davros 1736 much better had suspense shocks laughs and a great cast it delivers a change of direction as an episode halfway through that ramps up the tension uh, a solid 7.5 Rick Moran from the Dwas loved it loved it loved it a 9 out of 10 our writer, Jordan Shortman, at Jordan Shortman 1. Uh, absolutely excellent. I loved every minute of it from the scary first act to the cyber antics in the rest of it. The lone Cyberman was very creepy. Certainly a lot better than the dreaded Cyberwoman. <laughs> uh, for me, this is the first Stone Cold classic of Whitaker's era. Interesting. Um, uh Davros actually retweeted and said, uh, possibly a bit harsh, he gives it an 8 instead of a 7.5, so that's cool. Uh, Craig Mateo, Craig M1908, very good. few things that which were uh, strikingly similar to the Silver Turk, but I let it pass, even though it is not as good as that audio drama. Nevertheless, nevertheless, still rely, uh, still really enjoyed this one. Sorry, Jody's best performance in the role, 8 out of 10. That's a good point, actually. A lot of, uh, a lot of people have mentioned the whole Silver Turk thing. Uh, again, like the Chimes of Midnight, um, if you go and check out this story, um, it's just one of those solid uh, audio dramas. It's, it was, it's often revered as a classic. So that's the cool thing about McGann's era within Big Finish, is there are so many good, solid stories. And uh, one of those is um, The Silver Turk. And again, uh, it's not as old as The Chimes of Midnight. That was 2002. This is 2011, I think, or 2010. But I'm pretty sure this is cheap on the Big Finish website as well, and you can still get the CD for this one. So if you're a, a physical collector, you can do that. And I think it's around five quid. So again, another solid story to check out. And there is a bit of... Uh, 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 a little bit of a... 
a thing up in the air at the minute. I've been talking to a few fans over the past week about this. So the Silver Turk, the um, <laughs> the um, the companion who is with the Eighth Doctor in this story is Mary Shelley, and it's a Cyberman story. Uh, so um, yes. Take from that what you will. There's a whole, like I said, there's a whole conversation and thing going on about canon versus soft canon versus nothing at all, and blah, blah, blah. Regardless of all that stuff, The Silver Turk is a great audio story. So um, to go and check that out, as well as The Chimes of Midnight. Uh, moving on, Reese uh, at Riftflix028. Brilliant story introducing Lone Sideman, whose design was amazing. And finally, seeing Mary Shelley and a Sideman on screen was great. All the characters were written brilliantly, especially the Sideman and 13. A 10 out of 10. Uh, at Sebling, uh, with two Gs, said, Solid, creepy episode with tension, suspense, and the uh, almighty lone Cyberman. Fantastic improvement on the last three episodes, says Zombie Who 97 I wish it had ended with Cliffhanger, however. Uh, it, does, it did end with a kind of cliffhanger, I suppose, but not like a solid sort of one that you'd seen from the classic years, I suppose. But uh, it does concern me a bit that the only good episodes in series 12 has featured a returning character or villain. Hmm. Uh, regardless, love the episode eight out of 10. That's a good point. Sarah Louise, a running Hoovian, always running, says, so I got to watch this with hundreds of others at Gallifrey One. Yes, I've seen your Instagram pic, Sarah. Looks very, very cool. Uh, and it did not disappoint. I loved, uh, I love a historical story and found this to be scary at comedic moments and Jodie was very strong. My favourite ep of the current series are 9 out of 10. Uh, at awesome underscore Jess says, it was a brilliant episode, very spooky, though the Sonic was used a bit too much for my liking and none of the characters noticed. Uh, yes, uh, but other than that, it had suspense, funny moments and the Doctor's speech at the end was great and 8.5. Uh, Caitlin Dalek says, fantastic, love the whole historical side to the story. The Lone Cyberman was just perfection. A nice lead up to the final. Uh, felt very Utopia-esque in a way. Graham, as always, got to love him. The Doctor was at her best. 9.5, outstanding. Edward Gillooly, this was a great, creepy episode. The cast was great and excellent. Jodie was much more confident as a Doctor in this one, especially when dealing with Byron. Uh, an 8.5. Uh, Heisen... Heisenberg Pod says great atmosphere, good characters, twisty turn, twisty turny, uh, good scares, great effects, and the time team all had something to do. Maybe not Ryan in brackets. <laughs> uh, genuine shock when the nanny was killed. Top stuff, an eight out of ten. And Brian Chapman says this was a terrific episode, just a touch better than Spyfall and Fugitive of the Jadoon, the best of the Chibnall era, 9.5. And lastly, Spencer Shively says, fantastic episode. The Cyberman was actually creepy slash scary. Loved the characterization of Mary Shelley and how the Cyberman inspired Frankenstein. The look on 13's face when the Cyberman was talked about his past, so good. Hope Jack comes back for finale. 8.5 skeletal hands out of 10. More so, pretty much a, a well loved episode, I would say, because we're getting really high scores from most of you guys. We're talking nines, tens, that kind of thing. So, uh, that was Twitter. Thank you very much. And then over on Facebook, uh, Ulrich Hillmeister says, A great episode, really scary. I didn't expect the lone side man so early before the finals. Uh, the doctor was challenged by a real threat, either a destroyed world by changing history or a future war 
with a cyber army, you really cannot win. Great speech, 10 out of 10. Zach Jenkin found it boring and slow until the Cyberman showed up. Good supporting cast, a 6 out of 10. Lawrence Baxter, genuinely creepy and at times disturbing. Uh, tense throughout an intriguing Cyberman. Uh, Jody again, superb, 7.5. Miles McKenzie. Oh, no, I've done it again. Sorry, Millie McKenzie. Damn it. Millie McKenzie, that was delicious. A smidge of ghost light, a touch of the chimes of midnight, a hint of Castrovalva, and a big spoonful of hide. I love that. That's a really cool way of putting this episode, you know. That's pretty much bang on. Uh, and some creepy holy cow, they actually made a scary Cyberman stuff to a 9.5. 0.5 removed because the doctor ate some human skeleton hand dust. Yeah, that was a bit icky. Uh, Daniel Hickey says, enjoyed this one. More nods to the past. First time in a while I've found the Cybermen threatening uh, threatening again. I think that was meant, what you were meant to say. Uh, he was awesome. Shame we knew it was coming. The Doctor still explains too much. Looking forward to the next two. An 8.5. Jamie Ackerley. It was a good. It was another good one. Uh, what was most striking for me is that the pace was uh, so slower initially compared to the others this season. But because I've invested in this season, I let it flow. Uh, knew it would pick up when it needed to, and it did. Mary Shelley slash Cybermen scene was horrible. Cyberman looked amazing. I'm so pleased. Seeing positive reviews too. Yeah, that's always cool, Jamie. It's always cool when fandom's all into it. Um, Colin Carey. Uh, started to pick up again now towards the end run, so it can only get better from here. Uh, great podcast, guys. Thank you very much, Colin. Matt Searson, this episode made me want to hide behind the sofa. thought it was brilliant. Can't wait for the next one. A nine point... Uh, can't wait for episode nine and nine out of 10. Jeff Waddle says there was a lot of detail in this. So immediately after airing, I watched it again. It's almost faultless part horror movie, part sci-fi. And this half Cyberman version is the most stunning they've ever been. Jodie was outstanding in probably her best performance yet. A 10 out of 10 all time classic. Jeff loving it. Charlie Turner, great concept, great ideas, almost great. Everything. Only thing I found uh, I thought it was a ghost story at first. I was fooled, but that's okay as it arrived with a beauty. Uh, is it too, uh, in a terrifyingly brilliant and well thought out way, a nine out of 10. John Scott, superb episode. Beautifully directed, incredibly creepy, great performances all around. Best episode of the Chidnall era so far for me. And Harry Walker says, killer fingers, killer ghost hands, <laughs> killer Cyberman, that's better. A decent one, six, maybe seven out of 10. Crikey Moses. So this has been a great one for for scores. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't think it would be that divided. I knew it was going to be a fairly deep. You can kind of tell, you know, you can tell after watching an episode. I, I certainly did. I thought like, yes, this one's going to be scored fairly decently. So that's all good. So there we go. Thank you so much for um, all of your reviews, audio reviews. Thank you guys for taking the time to do that. And those of you that sent them in on Twitter and Facebook, always fantastic. Awesome. 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 Uh, next week when Adam is hopefully back, we will crack on with the first part of the finale review, which is Ascension of the Cybermen, which sounds very, very cool indeedy. And uh, yes, until then, that'll do for 256. So let's wrap there.
you thank you so much for listening to me waffle on by myself this week uh, for 256 um, some some good news uh, remember to check out the eBay auction if you want a signed a proper signed picture of Jody, and it goes uh, to the Dogs Trust charity as well so that's all good I'll put a link in the show notes for that and let us know what you think about the whole build a bear thing I've seen quite a few people tweet about it, it seems to be fairly popular so uh uh, let us know what you think about that and then um, thank you for listening to me drone off you know go through the review by myself for uh, this week's um, or last Sunday's episode uh, it was great to sort of get my notes out and uh, and talk about that and I'm sure Adam will give us his thoughts when he's back next week uh, next week after Sunday's episode Ascension of the Cybermen will obviously be back giving you our reviews on that stuff looking forward to the final two part it should be it's shaping up to be an awesome one. So fingers crossed it delivers and uh, and it's all good. So in the meantime, head over to our website, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our shows on there. Plus you can link off to all of the podcast apps and networks. So whatever podcast app you listen to podcasts on, just do a search for the Big Blue Box Podcast. You'll find us on there. Just give us a sub and you won't miss a show when it lands every Friday. There's also buttons to link off to all the socials. Uh, again if you're not on the website just do a search for the big blue box podcast you'll find us on there we chat plenty of doctor who during the week and now you can check us out on youtube as well so i've started to do live streams over there so head over to um, youtube.com forward slash c forward slash big blue box podcast tv or again just do a search so it'll be fun to have you guys over there also check out my co-host channel over on youtube the geeks handbag go and check out adam's videos loads of cool stuff over there and he's recently started to put new videos up as well so uh, some really cool stuff as always from adam over there and he's on the socials too so under the same name the geeks handbag just do a search for him over there until next week for episode 257 my name's gary and remember a- Londy. Londy.